Bible to Psalms 51. We're going to begin there this morning. You know, this week's been a, a week of a lot of re- reflection on the past, but also the anticipation of the future. And I think that's the way our lives often unfold, is that we think about the things that have been, or even the things that should have been or could have been, but then we also look to the future to see the things that lay before us, and God always promises there's something greater in the future than that which is in the past. In fact, we're exhorted to remember not the past, and I know that's an exhortation from the Lord, but I have a hard time with that because I love reminiscing about things of the past, and I was going through some of the pictures the last few days of some of you guys over the years, and even beyond you guys way before And I can't help but remember the things of the Lord with fondness. But I also realize that that's not where we live in what we used to be. We're going to live in something that we're supposed to be. Because God always wants to set you up and position you to become something more than you anticipated. I know oftentimes in life we limit ourselves by our own minds. Did you know your mind is called an enmity against God? Because your mind can be convinced either through circumstances or things that have happened to you or things that didn't happen to you, offenses, setbacks, drawbacks, broken relationships. Your mind can be so set to program you into a place of thinking that you're really never going to break out of that cycle that maybe you've been trapped in. But the Lord says, I can break that for you. I'm the Lord that breaketh the yoke. I can liberate you from the captivity of your mind. Because once you take this mind and open it up, then you begin to realize there's no limitation on what you can become. The limitation has only been placed there arbitrarily by circumstance, upbringing, social, economical, or whatever, but that's not what God has. God has something that's flowing for you, that's given to you that's even greater than you can anticipate. It's often hard to see that when we're in the wilderness or when we're in Egypt, in the bondage of the Egyptian slave owners, it's hard to visualize but there's a land out there flowing with milk and honey. But there really is. There's a promise that God has given to all of us. Amen? And whether you realize that promise and its fulfillment in this life is almost irrelevant because you know that if you're faithful in this life, you're going to reap an eternal life that's full of promise and fulfillment. Amen? I'm sure glad I don't have to think about it all ending that actually I'm simply like a babe ready to begin my life. So, well, aren't you kind of old? Yeah, maybe chronologically, but not in my spirit. Because in my spirit, I feel like a babe in Christ. I feel like this one that's got his whole life in front of him. Because it's not just the chronological life that I may have before me, but it's this, this great life that Christ has come to give and to give abundantly to me. I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. 
Now, I just wanted to throw that in. No charge for all that, okay? Unless you, unless you just are burdened to give more, you can. I won't restrict that flow of the Lord. But in Psalms 51, this scripture is called the confession and the forgiveness of sin. But I don't want us to look at it simply as that this morning. I want, to, I want us to look at it. How do we begin to clear, clean the slate so that God can do something greater in our life? See, in the spirit realm, there's a baseline. Your heart is what we usually denote is our spirit. It's the center of our being. It's out of this center, this, anoint, this place of the heart or the spirit comes forth all the issues Everything that comes forth from this inner man is what we pay attention to. It's not the outer man that we're so concerned about because we can get overly concerned about the outer man. And the outer man has a way of, of condemning itself and putting itself in a place that limits itself on what it can become. But the inner man is not controlled by those limitations because this is the realm of the spirit. You know, what's born of the spirit is of the spirit, right? What's of the flesh is of the flesh. We know that oftentimes though in our life, these things are so blurred together, it's hard to separate them. It's hard to separate this intention of the spirit or the intention of the heart from the desires or the needs of our flesh or our mind. It's hard to differentiate between the two. And so it leaves us in a place of some confusion. It's only when there's this separation, we allow this separation to take place to where we can begin to identify who we are in the spirit that we begin to clarify what we can become. And we get a vision of who we are and where we're going. Amen? So Paul, David, I'm not talking, Paul's the same boat, but David is facing this question. Here he was caught in sin and he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And he, he brought this response, which was really a blueprint for you and I, because God chose David to illustrate what it's like to be in the kingdom. God chose this man to say the whole kingdom of God is built upon his spirit. So David is the, the epicenter. He's the beginning of this uh, disclosure of God to man. Going through Christ, now through you. But it all began with David. It all began with his heart, how he set himself, how he positioned himself before the Lord. And so when you find yourself in times of confusion, are not understanding what you're going through on a personal level or the challenge you face, it's always good to go back to this baseline of how do you correct your heart or let God correct your heart so that you can be placed back in the right position for God to do what he wants to do through your life. Amen? So David was asking the Lord this. Let's look in verse um, 10. Create, everybody say create. create, in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit 
away from me. He goes on in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So David was asking the Lord, create in me a clean heart. See, every time we move into something new, and how many want to move into something new? Amen? We desire the new wine, don't we? We desire the new expression to the, of the Lord to our heart. So when we get ready to move into these new places, the first thing we do is we say, Lord, let there be a pathway cleared so that it can happen to me. Because if the Lord's trying to do all this stuff for you, but yet, in, but yet you're harboring this hidden thing in your own heart, not allowing the Lord to let his light shine into those dark places. See, what happens in dark places is where all manner of evil dwells. But when the light comes, light is like a sanitation. When you bring light to darkness, it instantly changes the atmosphere. It's the same thing in your own heart. When you let the light of God shine into you, then it creates in you the desired transformation that that light has come to give to you. Everything and every time we move into something new, we clear a path so that the Lord's perfect will can be done. Though the book of Romans, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Hallelujah. So I keep coming before the Lord over and over with my heart, saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Take away, Lord, these things in my own heart that have sinned against you. Lord, I come before you and I present my mind to you that I may be transformed by your presence so that out of that I begin to express and begin to manifest the perfect will of God in my life. See, the will of God isn't just something you fall into and you win the lottery and say, oh boy, I won the lottery today, I found the will of God. You don't find the will of God that way. If, if, you, look, if you try to find the will of God by happen chance, you won't find him. The will of God comes because you've set yourself for his will. You've set yourself for what God wants for you. It's not difficult, it's not even hard. It's not complicated. It's simply you coming presenting yourself to let his grace be bestowed upon you to create in you a place for his dwelling, for his will, for his purpose in your life. These 50 years of being Christian and almost 50 years of being a preacher. None of this has been by my might, nor by my power, nor by my strength, but it's been by his spirit, saith the Lord. Amen? Believe me, I couldn't have made it. Sue sure couldn't have made it <laughs> with me. We couldn't have made it. We couldn't have gone all these years it's a long time, almost 50 years. 
I know to Dale it seems like a short time because he's been going 56, seven years. Eight? 58 years. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Have mercy. But there again, it's not that hard because see, all we've got to, I've made it hard in my life so many times I couldn't count. Thank God that the Lord's memory is kind of like mine's getting. <laughs> you know, they say, when you get a little older, you don't remember things quite the way, Raina, that you used to. I remember the good things. Amen. I remember you. Amen. I love this gal. I just love you so much. Amen. And, that, and not, I'm just singling her out because most of you have been here for a while, so I'm not bragging on you as much. But uh, it's always good to see you. But I, I sometimes don't remember things. I mean, I wish I could go back and remember. Maybe I don't, really. Remember what it was like in high school? How many would rather just erase those memories out of your life, right? <laughs> I remember the first grade. I remember in the first grade that my friend Andy and I put a tack in a girl's chair. <laughs> and that's back when the girls wore these big old petticoats, or what do they call them? I mean, little bitty girls, they got these big old dresses that come around. And so this poor girl sat down. Ah! <laughs> She'd come up, and that tack had pushed that petticoat in and it had the big indentation. And so we're just laughing like crazy. The next thing I know, back then teachers weren't quite as subdued as they are now. <laughs> I, I, first time I'd ever been slapped. Backhand, in fact, I was backhanded. Me and my friend were both backhanded by the teachers, almost knocked us out of our chairs. That's, now, that's the way you teach children. <laughs> because believe me, I never put another tack in another girl's chair again. <laughs> and then that, but I didn't learn the full lesson. I got a chemistry kit. I think this was in the second grade. I got a chemistry kit. And of course, I didn't, I thought it was big adult chemistry, but it was for kids. So didn't have anything bad in there. But it gave you all these I guess it was a play thing because we thought we were mixing up this acid. And so we were going to, me and my friend, then we mixed up all this stuff and this acid. We took it to school. And when we had playground, we started running towards the girls and throwing the acid on their petticoats. <laughs> we were trying to burn their petticoats off. Well, that, not, that did not end well either. And then I, I, I still remember, I remember being, ex this, this is enough. <laughs> How many think this is the best part of the message? Okay. The next, the next part was, <laughs> the next part was my friend Andy and me started laughing one day in school. And we'd put our coats over our heads and laugh. We laughed so much that we laughed, we laughed for weeks. They actually, we both got expelled from school. 
they sent us home because after three days of laughing, we wouldn't stop. And uh, so I had to stay home for about a week till all the laughing got out of me. Little did I know that many years later it would come back, <laughs> you know. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's some of the memories that I do remember. Now, some of the things I don't remember, which is good, because I don't remember what I was talking about when I got to this point. And of course, all of you knew that was coming, right? So God has a way of cleaning out the old memories. And I know you've been praying for that for me for years, that God clean out the old memories. Now, Jeremiah chapter 15 I want to read to you a little bit there also. Um, verse 16, I'll just read this part, then I'll go to the next. If your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Then he goes to say in verse 19, therefore says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring back you will stand before me if you take out the precious from the vial. Everybody say, take out the precious from the vial. You shall take me as my mouth, let them return to you, but you must not return to them. Then it says, if you take out the precious from the vial, I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall and they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. Amen? Amen. So when we allow this separation to take place in our heart, it's called the, the removal of the, the vial from the precious. Because we all know that we have some stuff in there that need to be taken out, right? How many have some attitudes? How many have some resentments, bitternesses? How about, how about no one here, I'm sure, has any unforgiveness against anyone, right? How many has some of those things in your life? How many have some attitudes of judgmental, judgmental, judgmental attitudes, critical spirit, attitudes of, of superiority, or in some cases, attitudes of inferiority? So, you see, we're all subject to these natural things that tend to become our stumbling blocks. But the Lord said, if we let the separation take place to, take, to separate the precious thing that God has given you, it's called, the Bible calls it a treasure in an earthen vessel. Each one of you that have received Christ also received his Holy Spirit. And the spirit that was within you is promise to give you and lead you in all truth and to bring you into fruitfulness, to bring you into a place of manifestation of his nature to the world so that the world might believe, the world might believe in him because they see him in you. Amen? Wow. How many want the Lord to be seen in you? Want it to be known, let be known these people, they have been with Jesus. If, if, I don't care if someone likes or dislikes my preaching, and there's obviously a lot more people dislike it than like it, but um, I don't really care if people 
are that excited about my personality or lack of thereof. All I care really is, do they see Christ in me? Can they see through this, see past this thing that I present? Can they see who I am in the spirit? That's what I want to be known as, someone that's known in the spirit. So the, the heart must become then the throne. Everybody say the, the throne. The heart is the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to reign in each one of us. He wants to set up, abide in you. He wants to make you a temple of the Holy Spirit where he dwells in you. He lives in you. His lordship is expressed through you. His love, his kindness, his meekness, his gentleness, his goodness, his faithness, against such there's no law, is revealed through you. His authority, his apostleship, his prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers is manifested through your life. His gifts of the Holy Spirit are revealed through you. Amen? All these things come because the Lord has taken up his lordship within our hearts. But see, the heart then must become open and clean. And the beautiful thing about this relationship that the Lord has let me develop with Pastor Ross is that it's never been based upon our expression. Never once have we ever brought up any differences of expression with each other. Never once have I asked him and questioned him about their expression, and never once has he questioned and asked me about our expression. Because we know that the expression or the, the demonstrations that we both do are irrelevant. What's the only relevant thing is are we one in the spirit? Amen. It's just like in a relationship in a marriage. We, we get, often get caught up in evaluating a potential mate. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with keeping your eyes open and not being blinded to someone's blatant faults because there's some people that are just so messed up you really don't want to get around them, you know what I mean? Even if you've got all the faith in the world. But if, if you're attracted to someone and you feel that there may be a connection with that person to create a future relationship, you can't just put down line items and say, well, they've got to all meet this line in order for me to come into a relationship with them. That's, that's not being reasonable, is it? Because that's not how relationships are built. Relationships aren't built simply on expressions. They're built upon the unity of the heart. So the thing that we pursue, it says in the big Ephesians chapter four, it says there's a unity of spirit and there's a unity of faith. Most people want the unity of faith. Well, if our doctrines could line up, if our practices could line up, if all of our expressions could line up, then bless God, we could be one. Or if, if you do this, honey, this way, and you do it this way, and you do it this way, then I'll be a good husband to you. Or if you'll do this, honey, and this, and this, honey, then I'll be a good wife to you. I'm just waiting on you to change so I can become something that you haven't let me be yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's why it says, husband loves your wives. It's like Christ loved the church. See, I, I think the men, we men are the most responsible ones in marital relationships. I really do. Because the wife 
is programmed by God to have the submissive heart and to be one with us and to love us and to, and to cherish us and to honor us. But we men abuse that. We abuse it because we expect the wife to be all of these virtuous things that a wife should be, but yet we can choose to be exactly what we want to be and her accept it. It's not how it works. It's in the sacrifice of love and the giving of love that you create the potential for out of this union to form a new creation called the family. Amen? Where we've been two, now we become one. Where we spoke separately, now we speak together. We're like one spirit, one heart, one mind. It all comes from this purity of the heart, doesn't it? Wow, I like this, don't you? When our hearts are open, it allows the Holy Spirit to create. See, the Lord wants to be so creative to us. He has so much in store for us. Great and wonderful are the plans of God for his people. The Lord has so much to give you, but he cannot give you anything unless you open your heart to let the creative power of the Holy Spirit work within you. It's in the place of the humility and the lowliness and the meekness. He said in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And and we've misinterpreted that to mean that someone that's passive or withdrawn or not assertive is a meek person. No, that's not what it means. The meek is the attitude of the heart. The meekness, the lowliness. It said Christ himself was lowly. He considered it robbery to be counted equal with God. And he became a little lower even than the angels. See, Christ himself, this man that was endued with all the power of the universe, all the the authority of the Godhead, this man that dwelt upon the earth, this spirit, this word in flesh, this man chose to position his heart in a place of meekness and lowliness. Because it was through that expression of his lowering, lowering himself down to become identified with us in all things that he was able to bridge the gap between us and him, between us and the Father. He reconciled us because of his lowliness. Same thing in a marriage. If if you're meek, which means lowly of spirit, never assuming a place of rightness, but only a place of brokenness. Lord created me a clean heart. He said, the brokenness. Let me now hear the joy of the Lord. So that's where we're entering into. It's this beautiful time. I've never been more encouraged or excited than I am today. In fact, I've made a comment on Facebook the other day when I posted a picture. I said, in 46, 49 years of ministry, I have more excitement now than I've ever had. And I know some of you are having a hard time wrapping your brain around that because you're probably thinking I'm just saying that to make it sound good. But that's not true. I feel like this is the greatest time. It's going to be the greatest expression. Book of Malachi chapter 3. And I'm, I'm winding down. I know that you're probably ready to 
make this a distant memory and go on down the road. Okay. Um, no. Okay. No. Yeah, I, I like affirmation. Verse two of chapter three, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will set as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. See, the great day of purification is upon us. This is the book of Malachi, the last chapter before the book of Matthew. The next thing on the scene was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was like a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. He became preaching repentance to the children of Israel, not because he was trying to bring converts into himself, but he was trying to get them open to receive the new thing that was coming. Amen. How many this morning can say, I'm 100% open to what God wants to do in the coming days? If you can't fully say that yet, then it's still time, it's time to return to the Lord. And let the God separate the precious from the vile. Because see, it's, it's only when you come to that place are you finally able to see. Because there's blindness. See, when there's a heart that's foggy and clouded and milky because of its, the impurities, there's blindness. We can't see clearly what's before us in our life. But when the heart is clean, the eyes are pure. Amen? I think that's a football saying, isn't it? Clean heart, pure eyes, you know. Isn't that right, Darren, or do you know? You can't remember? Sure. Uh, well, it's close. I mean, close counts in this, doesn't it? I've been relying on that all these years. The close does count, right? Hallelujah. It's like when your husband do something wrong, you know, just tell your wife, well, I meant to do it. And then she'll say, well, okay, close counts. No, she won't. <laughs> she, won't she won't say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I meant to do that, honey. Well, she might accept that the first time you say it, but not the second time. Right. So we clean the slate. Come on, let's make a way. Let's make a pathway. Let's clear the way for the Lord. Here comes the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's ready to come in. The Lord's ready to manifest himself. See, pathways begins in our hearts. First, we prepare ourselves like David, like Jeremiah. We allow the love of God then to begin to constrain us, to motivate us, to lead us. And just like Jesus we have no agenda. We don't come with any self-seeking or self-will, any self-determination, or any feelings that may be hurt. We simply come. It's like the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that have no ego. Blessed are those that yield themselves 
to his kingdom. Blessed are those that humble themselves into the sight of God. Blessed are those who open their hearts so that Christ can become a pathway into them and through them. See, once our heart is set with his lordship, it becomes ready to reach out to become inclusive to others. See, we know there's a symptom of not having the right heart is when our heart is inclusive and not exclusive. When all we're concerned about is me and mine, we know that our heart is inclusive. But when our heart is exclusive, it's a clear heart that the concern shifts from who we are. It shifts to becoming who we can be to someone else. Amen? Amen. See, once the unity has come between you and the Lord, and once you've established that oneness, it said, Father, let them be one, just as we are one. That unity can now begin to embrace others. Amen? Amen? So if you're going through some challenging times during our transitions and maybe in your own personal life or even in our corporate life, don't, don't seek to do something unless you first establish your oneness with him. Do you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy strength and all thy soul? That's the first thing, the first commandment. What are the great commandments, Lord? The first commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, thy strength, and thy heart. Be one with him. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. See, when unity is created between you and the Lord, then that unity can be expressed expansively, inclusively to other people. You become literally a magnet that draws people so that you can connect people to the Father. Because they see it in you, they'll want what you have. I hope this morning that if you're in a kind of a bad place this morning, I want to make you jealous. Amen. I want you to be jealous of people that can smile and rejoice and have a clean heart and a clean conscience because that's the goal we all aspire to, isn't it? I love being with Pastor Ross because Ross challenges me. His heart is pure before the Lord. And I I say that knowing that he's not a perfect man, but I I see in him the reflection. It's like looking in a mirror. Wow. Don't you want it to get to that point with all of us where it's like a mirror when we're around together that we are inspired by the purity of each other's hearts and the unity that we have in each other? Hallelujah. I told you, I felt like a Samuel, like an old prophet that went and found a David. That's my relationship with this man. And I know I'm maybe overblowing it a little bit, but it's not really, this is real. It's phenomenal. It's beyond my expectations. This is what's happening. It says in the book of Malachi, look here, verse five, chapter four. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the father to the children. 
in the hearts of the children to their father. Least I come and strike the earth with the curse. The last scripture, the last verse in the book of Malachi was that there was coming the day that the spirit of Elijah would be upon the earth and God would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Speaking about the book of Isaiah, about the great marriage that God's bringing between God and his people. That God became our God. The Lord God, the true Israel, the true oneness of the Lord. When your heart is right, it means you've forsaken your individuality in favor of the greater union with others. Like Christ did, this one man became, has become many men. We're still looking at Christ in a singular context oftentimes, and I think it's fine to do that as long as we keep in, con- in re- remembrance that he's not here just as a single person, single man anymore. He's here in a many-membered body. It's Christ in you. There's where he is today. I know we want to separate him and segregate him out to a, a separate identity so that we can look to him to provide all these things for us. But in reality, Christ broke down the walls of division through his sacrifice. So now we can begin to refuse the separation and saying, now I am one with him, but I'm also one with you because he's living in you. He chose to go away so that he may come again through a many-membered body. Amen? And the world has not yet seen that many-membered body, but it will see it. We're waiting for the world to change. It won't change because we're going to raise up some more powerful evangelists. I mean, thank God for powerful evangelists, but that's not the ultimate goal. It's not going to change because all of a sudden now we have a, a land full of prophets. No, that's great. But what's going to change is when they say Christ has come, expressing his will through a people to demonstrate his marvelous nature and good works. Amen? It'll include all the works, but it'll be greater than just the works. Hallelujah. It'll be a people that God brings forth his kingdom through. After all, we define the kingdom as a relationship of the father's family. When there is union, there will be creation of something new. It's like a marriage. You have two parties that now become a new identity. They both still exist, but now we see them as one. Christ still exists singularly, doesn't he? I still exist singularly. But in my union with him, no longer are we seen in our own identity but now we're seeing as a new man, a new expression of God to the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A new family that now gives forth offspring. We're going to have lots of babies. Amen. Bring me more babies. Amen. Both natural and spiritual. It's a commandment. Okay. (laughs) 
two parties have become, become one, the kingdom birth perpetuated and revealed the father's family. He is our father and we are his sons and we are his daughters. Amen. We are his people. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Amen.